Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We'd always known that eventually we wanted this to be everywhere that cereal was bought and sold. And so we were very quickly thinking about who's the right partner to go to when we're ready for retail. And Target was a natural fit, given that they've worked with many previously DTC brands going into retail. And so we launched into Target last summer, so about two and a half years into our business. And then in January, we launched into Walmart, Kroger, Albertsons and Sprouts as well. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, what do you eat for breakfast? I really like breakfast. I just don't eat early in the morning. I do this intermittent fasting thing, don't ask. But... I do love breakfast food. In fact, I find breakfast food to be the best snack. And in fact, one of the things I've been really wondering is why the hell more people don't do that? I eat yogurt throughout the day. Is that your breakfast go-to? My weekday breakfast, yes. Weekends, I'm, I'm an egg gal. That's a whole conversation for another day. But I'll tell you, like, I obviously grew up in cereal, but given the nutrition behind cereal, at some point in my probably teenage life, I just stopped eating cereal. Well, when my kids were teenagers, I was going through like a box of cereal a day in my household between the two of them, just because it was a snack. It was a breakfast. It wasn't everything. And now that they're out of the house, like it doesn't move like it once did, except for the fact that I think cereals had a pretty incredible revolution over the past few years prompted by, by entrepreneurs. It has really been an outside in revolution. You're not finding it from the big guys. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of wild how long it's taken to reinvent the category. Magic Spoon, who we're obviously doing the show with today, didn't come to market until 2019. It's one of those things where the cereal business has had a lot of predictability in it for quite some time. And despite many changes, there are certain things that, especially kids, can't live without. And I think, you know, if you look at Mills and what they've been doing with Cheerio, diversifying, leaning on heart health and all this other stuff, but ultimately cereal in, in many ways is a guilty pleasure. And if you can have your, you know, cereal and eat it too, and not feel guilty about it, that's a really strong breakthrough. I'm sure that requires a heck of a lot of R and D to even make the case that there's a business opportunity to make cereal tasty and healthy without feeling the compromise. I mean, you know, like a Cheerios is very healthy. A Kix is very healthy, but is it really like your Fruit Loops? No, it's not. So how do you get both in one and is it believable? Yeah. And so here Magic Spoon is coming to market in 2019. They innovate the category by focusing on product development based on, you know, nutritional tastes of today versus tomorrow. But they also in many ways innovated the channel. 
know, they were one of the first D2C food brands that really took off like wildfire, like the way that Glossier took off in beauty. And when you hear their story, we have co-founder Gabby on the show. They did a few smart things. They had creators, aka influencers, be seed investors in the company. They got the brain trust of all the successful D2C founders, like the folks behind Harry's, and they've been able to outpace the market because of that. It makes a really big difference when you've got people behind you that bring the kind of credibility that you wouldn't necessarily just get if you stuck your product on the shelf. So distribution is one thing, but advocacy, especially to drive trial, is such a critical part of it. And I think that using a lot of the stuff that you just said, it changes the aperture of when you see a new product on the shelf. If you've heard about it and, you, and, and the word of mouth is strong, it would make you be willing to enter a new category. And it just kind of goes back to the, the criticality of full funnel go-to-market planning. This isn't just a marketing initiative. It's not just a sales initiative. This is really about driving distribution, interest, consideration, and ultimately advocacy fueling the rest of that. So we talk about commerce, but commerce, it starts in the beginning of even the inception of the idea. Well, let's bring Gabby onto the show to learn more about Magic Spoon. Hey, Gabby. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I feel like your trucks are driving all around New York City right now. Every day I spot one. So I'm sure you're super busy and I'm glad we were able to make this work. I actually saw one of our trucks today in the wild for the first time. People always send me pictures. I've never seen one until literally on my walk to the office today, I saw one for the first time. Oh, wow. I, I must be just spotting them all the time. So that's awesome. Well, you're obviously one of the co-founders of Magic Spoon. And I love the positioning, a food company based in New York that develops and sells gluten-free, grain-free, and keto-friendly cereal. But research also shows us that you're pretty good friends with your co-founder and you guys met in college. Tell us a little bit about Magic Spoon's origin story and how you split responsibilities while remaining friends. So I went to Brown University, originally from Scotland, came to America to attend Brown. And during my freshman year there, met uh, a friend named Gregory. And during our senior year, we started a business together called Exo Protein. And the idea with that business was we were developing sustainable protein actually from crickets, which it turns out are highly sustainable and nutritious food source consumed in many countries around the world, just not here in the U.S., and so we built this business around cricket protein for about five years. We started that in college, moved to New York, and spent five years building that business. And then we sold it about four and a half years ago. And we knew we wanted to start another business together. We knew we wanted to stay in the food and beverage world. And so we started thinking about what we wanted to do next. And we knew we wanted to go into a huge category. And when you're looking at the large categories in the grocery store, knowing that we wanted to stay within food or beverage, you basically have soda, milk, and cereal. And at the time, this is four and a half years ago, if you look at the soda category, there's endless new upstarts doing kombucha and low or no alcohol alternatives and prebiotics, probiotics, everything in between. You look at milk and you also have endless companies doing lab-grown dairy, doing oat milk, pea milk, whatever you can milk is being turned into a dairy substitute. And then you look at cereal. And it's the third largest category in the grocery store, over $11 billion annually just here in the US. 
And four years ago, it looked the same as it did 40 years ago. You know, the only thing that's been innovated in cereal in recent decades is maybe granola. And so we started asking people, why has nobody tried to reimagine cereal for the modern consumer? And what we meant by that was creating a cereal that looked and tasted like your favorite childhood cereals, but one that was much, much healthier from a macronutrient and ingredient perspective. So less sugar, more protein, gluten-free, grain-free. And that was an evolution we'd seen in endless categories, whether it's candy or ice cream or whatever it might be. And nobody could give us a good answer as to why nobody had done that to cereal. And so we thought we'd give it a go ourselves. And so we got to work on the branding, the product, and we launched Magic Spoon in 2019. And you remain friends while doing it. We are friends to this day after being a business together for almost 10 years. How do you guys split responsibilities? I tend to focus on sales, marketing, fundraising, and he focuses on operations, product, finance. So it's broadly internal and external. He's in charge of making sure the cereal exists. I'm in charge of making sure it gets sold. Very clear division of labor. Yeah. And that's key. I think we're a little bit different from most co-founders because we're actually very similar in the way we think. So the way I just described that division of labor, you might think I'm the creative genius and he's the analytical product guy. That's not true for either of us. We're actually both pretty like-minded. We both think similar ways, you know, come up the same on any personality test. But I think that's one of the keys to us getting along is that we don't have these radically different perspectives we bring, but we agree on most things, which has meant that there's never any blowups or huge arguments. And we've had like a very, very strong co-founder relationship for a decade now. Well, as somebody who's been working with the same person for 23 years now, there gets to be a point where you just kind of know where one person ends and the other one begins. And when you can find something like that, it's just super duper special. So I hear you barking. One thing I will tell you, though, that really surprised me, I was one of your first buyers via DTC, and I was like, oh, man, I got to buy four boxes of cereal at a time. I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing. And five minutes later, I was done eating all four boxes. So I know that that's not necessarily advised for most consumers, but I enjoy a good bowl of cereal, especially when it's as guiltless as it was. But now we're everywhere. You guys are one of those brands that everybody kind of talks about and says, oh my gosh, like how do they go from DCC to mass retail? You're sold, Target, at Walmart. How do you think about your channel strategy? Um, and also any advice you have to DTC companies that are looking to get in there? What are the key learnings? The first point, taking a step back, is that we never thought about ourselves as a DTC brand. When you think about the classic D2C model, you're not innovating on the product, right? You're innovating on the channel. And so you're taking the same, you know, men's razor that is sold in a store. You're buying it directly from the factory. You're selling it online. You're cutting out the store's markup. You're able to offer the same product at a cheaper price by going directly to the consumer. That's not what we were doing, right? We were not taking $4 box of sugary cereal, selling it on the internet and charging $3 instead of four. Our innovation was on the product side. So we were taking cereal, something that everybody used to love, but fell out of love with because it's full of crap. And we were making it much, much better. And then we thought, okay, our business is innovating in cereal. How do we get it to the right people quickly? And we've become pretty good through our last business at selling online. And so we launched direct to consumer and that was the focus at the beginning, but that was never how we thought about our business. When we did launch direct to consumer in 2019, we planned to do that for the next maybe six months and then get into retail. 
it went so well that we ended up being D2C only for almost three years because there was a certain amount of company growth we wanted to have. And we realized we could just have that by scaling on D2C. And some of the stuff you just mentioned, selling four boxes at a time, certain price points, certain AOV, all those things were a requirement for us being able to scale this D2C to the point we did. But then we, we'd always known that eventually we wanted this to be everywhere that cereal was bought and sold. And so we were very quickly thinking about who's the right partner to go to when we're ready for retail. And Target was a natural fit, given that they've worked with many previously DTC brands going into retail. And so we launched into Target last summer, so about two and a half years into our business. And then in January, we launched into Walmart, Kroger, Albertsons, and Sprouts as well. And so now we're in about 8,000 stores. Our business is still majority online, but very quickly retail is going to be catching up. Majority online D2C or majority online mass retail? D2C. So our business at this point is probably three quarters D2C and Amazon and a quarter retail, of which mostly is pure brick and mortar, but some small portion of it is the retailers.com. And do you attribute that to you're still building awareness of the brand? I attribute it to the fact that we spent a few years building a D2C business and acquiring millions of customers through all sorts of acquisition channels. And we've only been building our retail business for less than nine months at this point. And so it's a function of distribution and the the number of flavors we have available on retail shelves and mostly just a function of the scale of the D2C business we built before retail. If we'd built a smaller DTC business, then launching in Walmart and Target would have had a far bigger relative impact. And that's also why we launched in Target and Walmart and not in you know, a local natural food store, right? We'd built the DTC business to a scale where launching into 200 natural food stores just wouldn't move the needle for us. And so we were almost forced to go straight to the Targets and the Walmarts and the Kroger's of the world for it to actually have an impact on our business. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's not a common story that you hear anymore that D2C remains to be the biggest channel. And a lot of that is contributing because of the macro changes in the ecosystem. So changes in iOS 14, cookie-less internet, platforms like Meta became challenging to drive customer acquisition. How have you navigated those headwinds? Thankfully, we were always quite diversified in terms of our acquisition channels. So we brought in, maybe zooming up, so our fundraising strategy and this will become relevant in a second, was to bring in investment from people who have done what we're trying to do. So our first round of financing was 50% influencers who could help us sell product online. They were literally investing in the business. And then we carved out an additional equity pool where we rewarded them for driving online sales of our business with additional equity on top of their investment. Then, you know, some small VCs, but then also founders of D2C businesses. And so we had this group of founders from Harry's and Allbirds and all those classic DTC companies and this group of influencers invested in the business. And with those two things combined, we were able to 
not be too reliant on at the time Facebook and Instagram because we could go heavily into influencer marketing, but then also get advice from all these later stage DTC founders who were telling us all these other channels that we could get into. And so there were a number of reasons why we weren't overly reliant on Facebook and Instagram going into the iOS updates. And so it didn't hit us as hard as it hit many companies. That being said, it's certainly still a challenge. We do advertise on Meta on those platforms. And what we've seen more recently is that as companies have moved away from those platforms towards podcasts and influencer marketing and everything else, those costs are, of course, inflating as well. So it's certainly challenging, but we've, we're grateful that we haven't been hit as hard as many of our peers. Are you able to share any of the secrets in your media mix for those who are listening? I think at this stage, there's not that many secrets anymore. I think we're almost past the stage of secrets. I think for a really early stage company trying to get their first million dollars of sales, the influencer approach we took was tremendously helpful. So we were able to generate our first few million dollars of sales, mostly through this influencer approach, where we worked with small health and wellness influencers. We gave them literal stakes in the company. We had them promote us. We gave them you know, bonuses in terms of cash and equity. We had a very generous affiliate scheme. We were certain to basically overpay affiliates relative to all of our competition to incentivize the influencers. And so that was definitely like a key ingredient in getting the first couple million dollars of sales. Is that a secret from going to like, you know, getting the extra 10 once you're bigger? No, like that strategy doesn't work at such a scale that it's particularly helpful for us now. But that was very helpful for us getting our first couple of million. I think now the scale where we're at, we sort of need to do everything and be best in class at everything. So there's no one channel that we've discovered like a secret sauce on reinventing direct mail that can allow us to scale more than anybody else in direct mail. It's just making sure we're hiring really incredible world-class talent across all of these acquisition and obviously retention channels as well and executing really, really well across all of those. We just talked about your go-to-market mix. But of course, there's competitive pressures coming from everywhere. And you guys do have a unique product, but you are in a very crowded category. How do you think about protecting yourselves from some of the industry giants that have been there, done that? They all came out with copycats much faster than we expected, which was jarring at first, but thankfully we're staying far ahead. So at this point, all the large zero companies, there's three major ones. They all have a high protein, low carb keto cereal that's name is kind of similar to our name. And they launched in retail very quickly. So they went into 10,000 stores pretty quickly. And by and large, they're not doing too well because they hadn't really built any kind of foundation for the brand, which has been really, you know, really amazing for our team to see. Not, not that we ever wish any company not to do well, but when you see a larger company sort of copying the concept and it's sort of, if they don't succeed, it definitely validates all of the brand work and all everything we built D2C upfront. So that's been that's been nice to see. I think there's there's not much you can do about it. It's going to happen if you reach a certain level of um, success and get a certain amount of press. And so it it happened for us with with the large companies, and we're keeping a close eye on it, but also trying not to take our eye off the ball. It doesn't really affect what we do on a day to day basis too much. Well, that's really a testament to the equity that you built. Do you think it's a matter that Magic Spoon has such credibility in this particular space and the giants basically do not? Do you think you have a greater trial rate? Like ultimately, if they're making copycat products, you would think their R&D labs are kind of decent. 
So I guess my question is, is it the strength of the Magic Spoon brand and the credibility that drove the trial in the first place versus the, you know what, bigger brands, they just can't, they can't pretend to be something that they're not necessarily built for purpose to do. Yeah, I think it's a few different things. And I'm honestly still trying to wrap my head around it. You would think that they'd be able to create a better product ultimately, right? They have huge R&D departments. They've been doing this for decades and decades and decades. Their versions of our product are all worse products, which was surprising to me. Like I thought we would have to lean on brand, lean on our digital marketing expertise, lean on just our passion, our like will to beat them. But actually from a product perspective, our two or three person product team has created something that's more highly reviewed and I think just objectively a better product than what the larger serial companies have created. So that was kind of interesting to me. I think that's part of it. I think the other part is their approach seems to be to quickly assess what are the key elements of what we're doing that's working, slap that on a box of cereal, quickly develop a product and not make sure it's actually a better product, and then quickly put it into mass, mass retail, but then not really put much behind it. And so I think what you're seeing is that it kind of quickly gets out of there. There's like a burst of sales, but then they just kind of wait and see what happens. Whereas we're like pushing each and every day to keep growing our brand. And so I think attention and continued resources is also part of it. And then I think the fact that we've been building our business D2C with a focus on endorsement channels, so podcast, influencer, things like that, for the past few years, there's a huge number of people that have heard about Magic Spoon, but weren't interested in buying four boxes of cereal on the internet. And now they're seeing it on the shelf. And they're like, oh, like, I think that's the cereal I heard about on Podsave America. I'm going to give it a go now. And so we have this like built up like group of people just ready to find us on a retail shelf, which none of the competitors have. Well, Gabby, you've given everyone a lot of food for thought. It's clear that you're going to market differently, at least from the giants. We got to ask you our famous last question, which is what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Maybe a few things relating to moving somewhere new by myself. So I, when I was 17, I went backpacking in South America for six months by myself. A year later, I moved to America by myself to go to college here. Nobody from my high school had ever been to college in America. And then a few years ago, I moved to Bangkok for my last job for six months by myself. So that's been a lot of fun, always moving somewhere new alone and kind of establishing a new life and new friends and stuff like that. Wait, so you're saying that selling crickets as protein is not the bravest thing you've ever done. <laughs> well, I thought this was about being brave, not about being crazy. That that was the <laughs> craziest thing I've ever done. <laughs> well, you know, you, you did sell the business, so congrats on that. But um, thank you so much for joining us today. Your story is incredibly inspirational. Before we let you go, two very quick questions. Number one, do you still eat crickets? Not very often at this point, but I can tell you I've probably eating more crickets than almost anybody in the country. Not a thing to be proud of. <laughs> was there pride in my voice there? There definitely was. I'm just not your demo. Crickets are kosher, no? It, it's a debatable conversation. We can have a separate podcast. <laughs> How do you define whether or not crickets are kosher? But don't worry, everyone. Magic Spoon is kosher. It is. My final, final question is, what's your favorite flavor? I like to mix the chocolate and the peanut butter together. Nice. Nice. They're, they're, really, those are the two great tastes that taste great together. So 
I'm totally with you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to having you back as, as you well surpass your growth targets. Thanks for having me. Well, that episode was like reading a Harvard Business Review case study. It's pretty remarkable what Gabby and his co-founder, Greg, have been able to accomplish in such a short period of time. If you enjoyed the Magic Spoon story and you want to get a different take on the category, we have Julie Barrowman from Kellogg's who was on the show. Go check her episode out. And then we got to give a shout out to another challenger brand that also went to Target after having success in D2C, which is Denise Woodward at Partake Foods. Give us a like, share with a friend. Thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.